Hi, and welcome to the Christina Talks podcast. I have today my second MBE guest. So I'm going to be talking to a fantastic woman, someone that I've spoken to only a couple of times previously, but just... God, this woman is so enthusiastic about business. She's got so much energy around her as well, really passionate about her topic. And I also think it's quite unusual to find a a female talking about sales who, you know, is successful as a a speaker and an author, mentor, trainer. She's um, known as the the, the business godmother. Um, She's it's just an absolute powerhouse of a lady. So I'm really excited to bring to you today, Alison Edgar, MBE. Hi, Christina. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Alison? I'm top of the world, top of the or top of London. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Alison, I'm absolutely thrilled to have you join me today. I, I know we've only spoken a couple of times in the past, but having heard you loads and loads on at the clubhouse and then meeting in person as well as, well, say a few weeks, a couple of months ago now, isn't it? I just really wanted to bring you on and just just chat over a few different things. So, first of all, I've 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 done a really bad job of introducing you already. <laughs> I kind of did the thing I always do, which is like I'm, I'm meeting this I'm meeting this person. I'm going to talk to her. She's this and this, and that's why I'm talking to her. But you give us the proper intro now because you've done so many things. It's amazing. So it, it's really funny because. Like every single day, I just like all I do is do my best and bring my A game. So, trying to recap on what I did yesterday, let alone the whole of the career, is tough. But let's give it a crack, Christina. So, I am Alison Edgar, MBE, also known as the Entrepreneur's Godmother. And I work with a plethora of businesses from startups, including the Dragon's Den and Apprentice Winners all the way through to large conglomerates like Sky, EasyJet, Discovery, the European Commission. So I work on topics like entrepreneurship, intrapreneurship and sales. I'm also the author of two books, one called Secrets of Successful Sales, which is here, here. Hang on, I don't know what I'm doing with this. <laughs> and the other one uh, is called Smash It, The Art of Getting What You Want. Both books have been international bestsellers. And I think that, does that cover it? Does that sound, there's probably loads more, but that's not a bad start, is it? Absolutely. And uh, and it's kind of, yeah, I'm Alison Edgar MBE, but you've literally just picked up the MBE, haven't you? Because of COVID and all that kind yeah, of stuff. so you, you found out, I knew... In July 2020, I wasn't allowed to tell anybody until October 2020. So you've got like the biggest secret, you know, it's, it's like, oh, I can't wow. tell anyone. Um, and then it became official in October 2020. But because of the COVID restrictions, we couldn't go to um, collect the investiture. So I had my investiture on Tuesday. So I now officially have my um, MBE investiture. So, yeah, it's very exciting. Fantastic, fantastic. A good week in the Edgar household, I imagine. And, and like the day after, I flew up to Scotland. I was So somebody that got an, an their investiture the week before said, oh, really enjoy it and take time. Like, take a couple of days afterwards just to reflect on it. 
no, not for me, 5.30 in the morning, the taxi's picking me up to take me to Heathrow to fly me to Scotland to speak at two events. So I had two different events. One was virtual, one was live, and I'm like flying around the country, dinner with my friends, and then I came back yesterday. So I'm waiting for the weekend to uh, start to reflect and, and let it all sink in, really. Amazing, amazing. So... There's a couple of reasons I, I wanted to to speak with you and, and bring you on the podcast and um, and a couple of topics I really want to delve into because I, I think this is what makes you sort of stand out really for me. I mean, first of all, on the topic of sales, there just aren't that many women in sales like talking on the topic. And I mean, I I know you know Spencer Lodge. He's been on the podcast previously. I've I've done loads of work with him over the last couple of years now. He he it, like I joke, I say he's like my business dad, and he's like, no, I'm not. I'm your business big brother. But he's he's just such a fantastic fantastic person. But when I was looking at like who who do I this is something I need help with who who do I look at who do I work with? It's like the lineup is all men, and obviously I didn't know you at this point, but it is. It's like it's there's not diversity there at all so how's that been for you trying to get known in that like for that as a woman uh so why would you blend in when you can stand out so it's great to be a a woman in a space that's not overfilled with women so straight away that's a brilliant differentiator brilliant but it's really interesting because a lot of the um like the content for secrets of successful sales was based on what the top performers do. And when you're actually working in organisations, actually a lot of the top performers in sales are women. It's just they haven't gone on then to write the books or to to rock that space. And it is really, as you say, dominated by by men. And when I was doing the, um, I was looking at Secrets of Successful Sales on Amazon and it did really well. I mean, Touchwood, it was number one around the world. W.H. Smith top 10 business book. The Independent voted it one of the best business books written by a woman in 2019. So it did really well. But I was going through, and it sounds bizarre, but I was going through all the pages on Amazon written by a man, written by a man. And it was only something like 5% of all books on sales are written by women. And yet, actually, the sales arena, probably 50% of the sales arena are women. So, and we definitely do sell differently. I don't care what anybody said. We have definitely got a different way to build emotional intelligence and form relationships and, you know, follow through on things differently. There's not as much testosterone um, in female sales as there is in male. And, you know, I was working with an organisation and they like, they had adopted the challenger sale as their book of preference, right? And I, I, I'm not a fan of the challenger sale. I think, I think it's brilliant to challenge in sales. I think all salespeople should challenge and really dig deep to find out why the customer thinks that way and really get the customer to think, come up with a lot of their own kind of ideas as to why they've preformed that way. But I think actually when used the the you know when it's not used correctly, the challenger sale can just be like aggress- aggression. It's too like two different heads button in two different directions so when I wrote the book I haven't I haven't you know I've, I've done the I've listened to the challenger sale you know and I've watched some of the the content from it but it just was something I thought that's not really what I want to be doing in the space that I'm in I believe and I genuinely believe this is you know this is the whole sort of mission statement behind it when it's delivered correctly 
sales and customer service is exactly the same thing. And that's where I think coming in from that angle for me is something that I just, that's that's my heart, my passion and my soul. So many people do not treat a sale as a customer service. They're, they're too one-sided. And again, that's where I think the challenger sale can be quite aggressive, you know, and why do you think that? And how do you think that? And what happens if that doesn't happen? What would happen to your business? Or how would that feed your family? Again, it's, it's got a lot of the manipulative NLP techniques that I just think are that's like a weapon used in the wrong way. One of one of the things that I I I loved about one of the things that really struck me about you is that I need to connect more with this woman. We were I won't say which event we were at, but we were there, and there are a few people on stage where I was just like they're using all of those techniques, and um, we were both on the front row, sat a couple of seats apart, and I just kept seeing you leave the room. And then I started to work out every time you left the room, it was because it was one of these BS, like, you know, all the talk, no walk kind of speakers on stage. And I was like, right, there's a woman that votes with her feet. I like this. Oh, completely. And do you know what? I love that event. And, you know, those tickets down the front were, um, they weren't cheap, those seats to be there. And I looked at the programme and there's people, again, you know, we know each other from Clubhouse. There's Clubhouse rooms that I won't go in because it's full of those and that's what I think gives sales a bad name, those sleazy techniques, the manipulation and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, every single time that I heard somebody touching on any of those topics, I just said to myself, I'm not, I'm not in this one. This is not how this should be done. And, you know, and again, one of the per- one of the people that was, was there was, I think it was the first one I walked out of. It's like, how to like stand out and be controversial. Well, I think your controversy is good. It's not controversy, but having a different a difference of opinion to other people for me is how I learn. But actually, and you know, as I said, why would you blend in when you can stand out? But why why would you not want to stand out for the right reasons rather than just actually being awkward and difficult and just being an arse, really? I don't understand why people would want to do that. And again, I think that's another sort of male trait that, that let's put out a whole big bunch of hornets and see who it can sting first. Well, no, I'm I'm really sorry. And for me, I have got opinions on topics, and I'll I'll back up my opinions. But if you're to do a poll, who's heard of Alison Edgar? Who actually likes her content? Who who you know thinks that she's a woman that talks her talk? I know for a fact that, you know, you can't please all the people all the time, but 99% of the people would say, yeah, I know who she is. Yeah, she's, you know, she stands out for for being positive and actually doing what she says she does and not talking theory, but talking practice. So I'm proud of that. I would never want to stand out for the wrong reasons. Absolutely. So obviously after that event, I was like, you know, I, I was more intrigued and I was like, well, let's go and dig around. Let's see what we can find out. And um, yeah, and we talk about standing out. One of the things for me, because it just, it really reflected my journey into being a, a business owner, entrepreneurship. And that's the concept of intrapreneurship. So I really want to talk about that. I mean, it's a, I think it's one of those words where doesn't get enough coverage. I don't think people necessarily know what it means. And if they understand the definition, they, they might, you know, if you're listening to this and you don't own a business, you might listen to this definition now and, and kind of go, actually, that is me and realize all the doors it can open. So what's your definition? How do you see, how do you see it? 
And I can see on your face, you're already like, I mean, yeah, yeah, let's I talk still, about I this. I still love this topic, but I can tell you how it came about into my world. Again, like, I know what I do, right? So I think it's, when I was writing the books, it's so ingrained what I do that I had to work on unpicking the journey of, of how I sell, because I was always a top performer, but it couldn't just always be about how I sold I had to unpick what the other top performers did. And that was the fundamentals um, of that that ownership they took. And I know when I worked in corporate, the reason I was really successful was they just gave me the car and the money and the accounts. But ultimately, I was running my own business, right? Like I could work when I wanted, finish when I wanted, work smarter, do do what I wanted. I had complete autonomy because... I had molded myself as a top performer. So basically, I've always thought, even when I worked in a job, I was running my own business. People were just giving me the vehicle and the cash to do it. That was a seed money kind of thing. So um, I was asked, one of my clients, bizarrely, um, I'd been doing some training for a small business in Guildford, I think it was, and at the end of the, the training, I went to get the train back. So I had to get from Guildford to Reading to Wiltshire. And one of the women was at the train station and I'm talking to me, blah, 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 blah. Just random, not about work, just random. And it turns out that her husband was one of the head guys at Discovery, right? So literally, I didn't know this. And I got this inbound inquiry from Discovery and they said, look, we want you to come and speak at our offsite for our senior leaders, but we don't really want you to talk about sales. I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's a slight issue because um, I don't know what to do. But I then unpicked another content topic that I had created around what would I do if it was my. So this content had been created, but it never been delivered. I just created it because I thought, oh, that's really good. And it was what would I do if it was my first day? What would I do if it was my best friend? So around the relationships that entrepreneurs make. And what would I do if it was my business? Sustainability, working smarter, managing your time, being organized. So all those are the fundamental things that the top performers did. But then I needed this sort of, well, what is that? What does it mean when you are in a job and you're not a business owner, but you think in that way? What's that? So I Googled it and oh, that's an entrepreneur. So I thought, oh, that's, I've never heard that word before, right? So literally I thought, oh, this is a new word. I've never heard that before. See when I did the research, right? Unbelievable. Gifford Pinchot III wrote the white paper in 1978. 1978, wow. right? But I had never heard the word. And even now, most people have never heard that word. So that's what I do when I work with the big organizations. I work around change. So, you know, one of the the key factors that top performers have and entrepreneurs have is a growth mindset. That's a non-negotiable. That is just non-negotiable. But when you work, you know, I've worked in jobs. Oh, here we go again. Same BS, different day. Oh, we tried that. It didn't work. You know, that whole kind of negativity. That's Entrepreneurs don't have space for that because if they don't, make money they don't get paid and that's where again what what were the key components I did when I was in a job I have always been an entrepreneur I've always been quite hard to manage I know you will not believe that 
Um, but it's because I just always wanted to make change. I wanted things better. I felt there was other ways that things could be done. So I think that's I'm so passionate about it. And it's hard. I mean, I'm working with, I mean, huge organizations. I mean, massive organizations. And you just have to change one person into an entrepreneur at a time, one at a time. And that's how you make that change in an organization and actually make that mindset and, and achieving those targets work. So and I know because I've been that performer that in that big organization. It has a massive impact on culture. I, I really, really believe that, you know, we're, here we're we're a small business. Um, I started working here as an employee back in 2013. And within a very short period of time, I was like, second in command it, it was the only thing I didn't have access to was the bank balance you know everything else I had visibility on I you know when we went through the the management buyout in 2019 it was like all the due diligence stuff that you would normally check most of it had my signature on anyway so it was kind of I was was a hundred percent in that role but really comfortable in it you know it, it was only got to like the last well it was 2018 really where I kind of got to the point where, although I've got everything minus the risk and the bank balance, it still wasn't enough. And I think that's where that growth mindset suddenly really kicked in. It's like, yeah, I can do more. I can be more. I can, I can want yeah. more. And I think this is where the collaborative, because you know yourself, there's always a maverick. There's always a maverick somewhere in every organisation that just goes out and they do it. And and they sometimes get it wrong and it has a massive negative effect. But that's where if you've got somebody that's entrepreneurial, because like entrepreneurs tend to, to be collaborative anyway, don't they? Either as a small business, they collaborate with other small businesses or actually they're quite inclusive in the team and the way they communicate. So I think it's, again, really, really encouraging that no matter what size the business is. And again, you've met my team as well, Christina, you met them at that yeah. event. And literally, they, they're, we've just conjoined, you know, we work so closely together that even like, even on my social media, some of the times if I'm too busy, they'll do the social media and I'll read the social media back and I'll go, did I write that? I can't even tell whether I've written that or not. It's so, it so sounds like me. And I think that's where, yeah. you know, although bigger organisations and, you know, they don't have that luxury to, to be able to work with everybody. But if they're creating their own small business mentality, rather than siloing, if they're working as a small, a small business unit with their own cost centres, but collaborating with the other departments, that's how you make that magic happen. Absolutely. And, you know, I think there is this real link between the sales culture but like the, the sales approach and the culture of the business. So, you know, go, going back to that sort of like, the, you know, that challenger mentality, if if the people within that role, you know, it, it's, a, it's an essential function to the business. If you don't have that, you don't have a business. So if actually, if that's going out there and it's being aggressive and there's that, you know, testosterone fuel culture there, well, that's going to seep into the roots of the oh, business the itself. I literally... I bumped into one of my old colleagues that I worked with and I haven't seen him for years. In fact, two of them, but coincidentally, I was speaking at an event in Swindon and two of my ex-colleagues turned up and we were talking about some of the really bad managers that we had that were like, you know, their way or the highway. You know, I can remember one of them standing up and saying, um, you know, you're not on target, so nobody in this room should be going to the gym. You should all be working all these extra hours 
to make sure that you're hitting my target for me. No, no, that's not how you motivate people. That's how you get grievances against yourself. You know, that's and that comes back to again, coming back to leadership and and females in those roles. Females tend to make stronger leaders because they can get people to work with them. You know, they can they can get people to be part of that journey rather than just, you know, the carrot and the stick. They're quite good at doing the carrot. You know, they they don't. And I'm again, um, I'm very, you know, I'm completely widespread in it there you know there are obviously different female leaders who are also using sticks and and there's some great male leaders who are brilliant with the carrot so it's that's quite a generalization but you know I'm sure the listeners will have worked with an example of both of those kind of leaders that it's it's not and to me it's just dated it's not 1984 yeah we recently had someone come into the business in in a, a sales role and I think that the, the changing culture has been tricky on both sides because I'm so like, I don't care. As long as we're getting results, like if you're happy and we're getting results, then I'm happy. I'm like, what do we need to know beyond that? You know, obviously we need a level of reporting, but you know, what what I want, I can't change what you've done so far, Mm -hmm. but I can help you to perfect your plan so that you can do even better next week and next month and et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of like the culture that I think this person's worked in previously has been very much like, where are the KPIs? How many minutes have you been on Teams today? Like that real kind of, and and I think that shift in like, you don't need to report into me every time you go to the toilet. Do you know what? I think it's really changed. So to me, um, it's interesting because I'll go into work with teams, sales teams who are not performing particularly well, right? And I think this is where KPIs are really important, but they don't necessarily have to be used until something's not working correctly, if that makes sense. So ultimately in a business, right, people try to, in my opinion, overcomplicate it. In a business, sell more stuff, spend less money, make a profit. That's it. Literally, that's all you need to do, right? Sell more stuff. Spend less money, make a profit. That's it. Job done. Take the box. That's the formula. It's not complicated. So coming back to selling more stuff, um, you know, if you have a look again, I, I go in and it's an organization, for example, this guy's not hitting his target. You know, he's missed his target by this. I have to look at what he does with his time, right? Because ultimately you get the same eight hours as everybody else, whatever it is. But what are they doing with their time? And it was really interesting. So I come from a call centre background, right? So we were really strongly KPI'd. So the talk time, dial-outs should be three and a half hours. Um, cold call dial-outs, you know, should be something like 75. I don't know, whatever it was. Say 100, 100 dial-outs, talk time, three and a half hours. Which actually, in an eight-hour day, that sounds easy to hit, but it's so not easy to hit. Like, And for me, my KPIs were never that strong, but I was always the top performer because what I would do is I would make sure that Everything was really accurate with the paperwork. I didn't have to revisit it. You know, I I would maximize the value of the sale because I'd really found out what the customer really needed. And when I went to pitch the result, I was getting a higher average value sale because I wasn't just going in for a quick win or an over pitch. I was going in for the right thing. So when I was working with this company, I said, right, okay, let's have a wee look on average. And they didn't have, again, this is the other thing, you know, you really need to have the right tools to monitor these KPIs. And that's why having a good, things like a good phone system and not to catch somebody out, but how can you coach somebody 
on how to get better if you're not actually hearing what they're saying on those calls. And that's where, you know, the carrot and the stick people go, you've not done enough calls, you've not done this. Actually, it's about coaching them through the calls that they've done and not converted and where it went wrong and understanding the behaviours of the customer and all that stuff. Anyway, so I go in and I have a wee look. And he's, again, outbound eight hour days. His average talk time, 38 minutes. 38 minutes a day and he's there for full time hours, right? So then I had to look at, well, where's your time gone? Because this is the thing, time's the big yeah. the thief. You know, it's people waste their time. And I don't mean waste their time because they're chatting, or, but they're just not efficient. They're, they're not efficient. So it turned out that he would do the research before he'd make the call. But the customer was now, you know, you're not going to get through to the customers all the time. So he would spend like 10, 15 minutes researching it. But what he was doing as well is he wasn't storing that data in the CRM so he would then every single time he made a call, he'd have to revisit all that data. And they say that sales is a numbers game. It isn't, it isn't. You know, if you've got good data, if you've got a good process, if you're finding out good questions, then actually your conversion rate will go up. So to me, the KPIs are just the little measurement tool as a detective to work out what's not happening because if you know you've got customers that are buying what you sell you know that your product and service is good it comes down to the efficiency and the look, I say effort that's not what I mean but how they're using that time time utilization because if you're utilizing your time um efficiently you're going to make more sales yeah I think as your as businesses are seeing like these trends as well change when there's there's less time needed to be spent cold calling and prospecting in that way because we've got more inbound leads where's where's the shift there in terms of your 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 average salesperson like how how are you finding that i mean i think it's interesting whether it's a, a larger organization and they're they're just that's their job sales is their job whereas a small business is probably mixed in with other kind of jobs if that makes sense and i think the definition is people don't really understand the difference between sales and marketing Honestly, I don't think they understand it. So like when I see if I'm doing a live event and I go, put your hand up if you know the difference between sales and marketing, very few hands go up, Christina. And literally it's like, like because when people talk, they go, sales and marketing, sales and marketing, sales and marketing. It's like they're conjoined. They're not. They're two separate animals, completely different animals. Don't ever conjoin those animals. And what how I describe it is like marketing and you know this because this is your bag, like they put the T in the ground. If you look at it, it's like golf. I'd say sales and marketing is like golf. So marketing, T in the ground and put the ball in the T. So your website, your socials, you know, your brochures, your even your emails, like anything, your mail shots, that is marketing. That's your, that's your bit, right? So we're playing the game together, right? We're playing the two ball in here. That's your bit. Sales... We would then take that marketing and we take it down the fairway, put the ball in the green and put the ball in the hole because only when the ball goes in the hole do we make any money, right? I do this with marketing people. Marketing people go, that's a load of rubbish. That's rubbish, Alison. What happens is us in marketing, we take it from the tee and the green and the, the tea and we take it we take it down the fairway we put it on the green we put it right up to the pin and you sales guys tap it in and take all the glory 
So, but that's what happens if the marketing's good. Like you said there, you know, marketing's getting the inbounds, right? So if the marketing is really good, you should be inundated with inbounds. And then literally the customer is so warm that it is a case of when do you want to start? What do you want to buy? It is tapping it in. But what I see again in the small business arena is if you look at things like eBay and Amazon, that's not sales at all. That's a hole in one for marketing, right? You just go on to Amazon, have a wee look. Oh, I want that chair. Boom, bought it. That's not sales. That's pure hole in one for marketing. And I think it's that if 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 the marketing's not bringing the goods, right? If the marketing are not great raising that awareness, I don't believe that we have we should be cold calling, right? I just think cold calling is not smart because it's not 1984. If I phoned up your organization and said, can I speak to the person that deals with your photocopiers? It just oozes sales call, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've either got a, we've got a no-name policy or send an email to nevergonahappen.com. That's not effective use of time. So that's where, again, things like LinkedIn, definitely LinkedIn, that's the golden keys for sales. You want the name of a decision maker? They're going to be on LinkedIn. You want to start building a relationship? That's where, again, marketing, social, you know, we talk about um, social media, social selling. That's where it's actually social marketing. You know, you're putting a post out on LinkedIn. That's not sales. You're having that conversation. That's not sales. That's still marketing. When you take it off LinkedIn and you have a Zoom, that's when sales kicks in. And that's where sales and marketing should work perfectly beautifully together but in a lot of organizations they're at loggerheads there's blame oh your means aren't very good oh these salespeople are rubbish and they're not working together when they when they make the magic happen that's when you sell more stuff spend less money make a profit i think part of the problem in that situation is the definition of what a lead is oh yeah because in my like in my world and and this this conversation we keep having it's like um, you know, it to me, a cold lead is someone that hasn't reached out to us. We we work within a niche. So we work with independent recruiters, that's 70% of our business, right? Those recruiters we work with, they then recommend us, and that's where the other 30% comes from. So within the independent recruitment market here in the UK, I'd like to think I'm pretty well known. I've put the, I've put the hard yards in, people know who I am, they know who Green Umbrella is. And so when we do the equivalent of a cold call, you've got to bet an 80, 90% chance that person already knows who, what they've seen me speak somewhere, we've met in person at an event, whatever it might be. They're just aware of the brand. So it's never truly a cold call. Oh, no, and I think it, that this is where marketing, when marketing works well, it makes a difference. And I tell you what, my team love working for me, Christina, because they just have to go anywhere, like literally, and they go, oh, I work for Alison Edgar. Oh, we love Alison Edgar. How is she? So again, I've put in the, 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 the long hours, the, the long days to be places that my target market hang out so it makes it easier for the guys in my team to start that sales conversation because you've already raised that brand awareness again the ball is closer to the hole it's not like you're coming from the tee to try and get a par five and get the ball in so I think that's um it's it's huge so even the start of that conversation and I think for me that was one of the things I learned from working in corporate, not not how to do it, but how important it was. So like when I used to work for BT, I'd say I'm phoning from BT. 
well, everybody knew who BT was, whether they liked them or not, that's a completely different conversation. But the brand awareness was high. And I think that's where so many people, that takes time. And this is where from a marketing strategy, so many people, they, they, don't, they don't play the long game. They're not in for long haul. They go in for short haul and then they go, that didn't work. Well, it takes years to grow a brand. You don't just become Coca-Cola overnight. So uh, I think that's where that longevity and keeping practice and it makes a difference. And yeah. um, I think the cold to sold mentality is very, very outdated. And I feel that like that, like you shouldn't be like, if, if anyone is cold, then you you haven't earned the right to contact them anyway. I, I don't know how that fits in with with the training that you offer. Yeah, and the, 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 you do. This is where I use LinkedIn as that because not everybody is coca-cola or bt you know they are unknown brands they are at the start of their journey but it's building those relationships because i think that people do buy people ultimately and people buy people like them so this is the stuff I, I do around behaviors and really understanding the behavior of your buyer but i think you, you can start to have those conversations you can start to put your prospect list together um using linkedin sales navigator and then start there, comment on their posts, you know, have those conversations. Again, not in a, a sleazy, like, oh, I'm trying to be a friend kind of way, but genuinely read it. If somebody's in recruitment and they put out a statistic or they've got a role that they're trying to fill and you think, oh, actually, do you know what? I've got somebody in my network that I think might be really good for that. Well, they're going to remember you. And when it comes to looking for somebody to do that marketing, then then do that you know it's just about building really really strong good relationships and then taking it from there absolutely with the work that you do with entrepreneurs how much does personal brand come into that because especially when I'm working with bigger businesses they're kind of nervous of investing in the personal brand of the their employees essentially because I'm going to make this investment but it's they see it as a cost because that employee might walk away I think it's imperative to grow a personal brand within an organisation. Again, like, why would you blend in when you can stand out? Especially for things, if you're looking for a promotion or you're looking to, you know, take a project lead or looking to do that. If people don't know who you are, they ain't going to give you that role. So, you know, do that networking. If they are going to, you know, do a lunch and learn and they want people to, to join in from different departments, go there. Like, literally be known and be known for the right reasons of positivity, you know, ablement, really keen to learn, you know, growth mindset. And again, I don't mean work. It's not about working harder. It's about working smarter. And again, don't don't be uh, jealous of the person that gets the promotion. Oh, they were a brown nose. Oh, it's all right from them. They were doing this, doing that. That's fixed mindset. You know, if you want that, set your goal. Say, look, what do I need to do to be involved in this project? How do I need to do that? What, you know, what skill set do I need to have to be here? How do I get that? What can I do? You know, literally be inquisitive, be not, you know, but set your goals. That's, I mean, smash it, the art of getting what you want. Like I've written a whole book on this kind of stuff because it is possible. You know, I grew up in a council house in Clyde Bank. And I'm an MBE for business and entrepreneurship. You know, no one saw that one coming, Christina, literally, not even my family. So if I can do it, I don't talk theory. I just tell you what I've done and what I've seen other people doing. So if you follow the formula, you know, if you follow a process, actually, funnily enough, the results will come out the way that you want the result to come out. 
absolutely. I'm really glad you sort of brought up your background because I, I was just, as you were talking and, and the, the the language that you use, I kind of thought, yeah, do you know what? We we all look at other people, even the most like rounded of us. We look at other people, we make those comparisons and that little bit of jealousy, the the little you know, all of the, all of those little things pop in, and you kind of look at other people and you go, well, it's all right for them. And, you know, I think that's normal. I think that's the natural place to start. Like, I don't think people are born necessarily with a growth mindset. I think they have traits of it, but I think you have to work at it. You know, I've been there looking at like, oh, how come they got the promotion? In fact, I can remember years ago, somebody got a promotion and I was just literally in tears. I'm going, I should have got that job. I was really good at that. How come she got that? And it eats you up and I became angry. And I think anger... In the workplace is never a good look, is it? Let's face it. So, you know, again, I'm not saying that I'm perfect and I've been like this since forever. I've had to learn to do this. And, and I think it's it's just so important. And like even now, so most of my stuff is done in the speaking industry at the moment. You know, I'm doing a lot of events like EasyJet and Sky, Discovery, blah, 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 blah. blah. And there's another speaker. And again, it's quite a male-dominated field, right? A lot of the people that yes. are picked to do a lot of the big events are men and um this guy posted oh I'm here I'm there and he's like in, in November I've got 34 speaking events and I think old me would have been like oh that's all right for him and I'd have found an excuse as to why it was him and not me and see now I literally don't think like that I just think you know what if he's got 34 out there that means there's a market for me so I've just got to keep raising my brand awareness so that eventually I'll get a chunk of some of that work because that's just for one man and there's loads of people but you know the speaking industry 90% of all work goes to 10% of the speakers and that's my goal is just I'm I am going to be in that 10% you know I will be in that 10% that's non-negotiable for me and again how do you do that smash it the art of getting what you want you know what you want and then you put the strategy in place and you just stay positive and you work towards it every single day and that's that's like again a bit like how do you make a successful business sell more spend less make profit you know how do you get what you want set a goal work towards it every day if you have a bad day don't beat yourself up you just get back on the horse every day but you need to know where you're going or you're not going to get there absolutely on the you know there are just not enough female speakers there's not enough diverse speakers out there um don't know if you know tony gargan but she's like a you do yeah 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 yeah, so um, on yes, a couple of episodes ago now, and I had her on and just talking about exactly this because I've, you know, you you do the speaking gigs and sometimes you know you've been called on because you um, add something to the panel, um, and it's more to do with what's missing between your legs. You know what? Though I I don't care about that. I I, I like I, I know a lot of people go, oh, I think I'm only here to tick the boxes. I don't care. I don't care if I'm ticking a box or not. I literally, I know I've got a lot to uh, to add to that. And if that's what they bring me in for, then that, that's fair enough. Because I know by the end of it, I'll be rocking their audience. So if that's what it takes for me to tick the box to get in front of their audiences, then they can tick away all day, every day. It, it makes me uncomfortable, but I'm also very, very aware that actually the, the options are limited. And when the call has gone out, it's men that answer the call and not women. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've just done a, a, for one of the bureaus, speaker bureaus, I've done a, a library piece on imposter syndrome for them. 
And I think, again, it's really interesting when I was doing the research for that, if a, you know, job, if a job role goes out, then uh, women will wait till they've got 100% of the skill set in the job description before they'll apply. Men will get to 60 and then they'll apply. So again, I, I do believe we need to go up there, whether we're ticking a box or not, to take one for the team to show women. Because if we can't get on the panels, no matter how we get on the panels, we can't inspire the audience to, to move in and start, you know, I don't mean taking over, but really to start putting themselves forward, whether they've got all those qualifications or not, because men don't wait and we hold ourselves back. So I think that as the, the thought leaders in that space and as the strong women, we've got to go and say, look, we're doing this and we're going to inspire. Lift as you climb. So the higher we get, the more we climb, you know, the more that we lift the people that are behind us. Brilliant. So um, there is something else I wanted to talk to you about. There, we'll, we'll keep it brief because I'm conscious of your time. But where, I say, when, when we met, we'd been out for dinner, we we're in a taxi coming back to the hotel, um, and we started talking about awards, okay, about business awards. Now, I will openly admit, and, uh, you know, for, for the sake of the podcast and apologies, this is the second time you'll be hearing this from me. It's like, I really want, I really, really want some awards for the business, but also for myself, you know, that, that little bit of kind of recognition and, and validation. But there are so many awards out there where I just feel like, you know, you're only going to get, you're only get shortlisted. You're only going to win if you buy your seat at the table and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I know you've been involved with with loads of awards and being part of judging panels and that kind of stuff. So, what like what do you what do you look for so that you understand like what's a genuine award and what and what isn't basically? And it do you, like obviously you must see merit in them. Otherwise, I don't believe you would get involved. So yeah, what what are your I, thoughts? I don't think that? that you should pay to play. So if they say you need to pay me money to enter these awards, I'm like. No, not a hope in hell. No way. Um, I think, I mean, it's hard because obviously I support startups and people will be wanting to start up award ceremonies and they've got to start from somewhere. But I, I would rather go through the process not having paid. And then if there's a dinner, I'll pay to go to the dinner and then you're getting like multi-level enjoyment on there. Um, as a judge, I love the stories. So I, 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 I just like to get, especially for business and entrepreneurial awards, you know, what what is your why? Why did you start it? What was the passion? And, you know, really pointing out your USPs that, you know, that these are the, these are the reasons I got up and this is the impact. And it's hard because it depends on the category. So say, say it was scale up. Um, it's really hard if you've scaled up and you've put an extra like 20 quid in your bank and that's your version of scale up compared to somebody who's taken it to, like multi-million pounds. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I think, oh, I mean, I've got a favourite, I know you're not supposed to have favourite businesses. It's not one of my customers, but I've got a favourite business and it's Gymshark. I mean, I would give Gymshark every award under the sun. So, you know, Ben Francis started it when he was working at Pizza Hut. He was there with his wee sewing machine. He was still at uni. You know, he then managed to, you know, start that business. He he got bought out the co-founder. He then took on two, like, senior leaders that were in their 50s to give him that experience. He then grew back into the role. He's the CEO. And the, the turnover is amazing. The profit's amazing. I mean, literally, just give that every single day. But the reason that I would look at the results, but I would look at Ben Francis's story. So I think it's always everybody's got a story. 
what's your story and really like really making that shine, if that makes sense, and, and why you do it. But I'll tell you why it's so important to enter awards, whether you win or whether you don't win. It's really good for your SEO. <laughs> I know that sounds bizarre, right? And I'll tell you why I'm saying that. For anybody that doesn't know what SEO is, it's search engine optimization. And I'll tell you why I'm so passionate about this. So I knew way at the start of the journey, I have to get my face on the telly, right? That's how... And it's not that I want to be famous, right? So I'm, I'm not like, oh, put me on Dancing on Ice or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? That's not why I want to do it. But if people don't know who you are, you can't help them, right? Coming back to sales and marketing is like golf. You know, you've got to, especially as the face of the business, I, it's my duty to for people to know who I am so I can help them. So I entered awards, Women in Business Awards in the Southwest. It was run by one of the newspapers. And touch wood, I did win. I won Mentor of the Year. And again, I was blessed. I felt really, really great. Anyway, about a year later, I get a call from one of the BBC researchers for BBC Breakfast. And they said, look, we've, we've, um, we're coming down to do some filming with Steph McGovern. We're looking for some women, um, small business women, you know, whatever it was, women in small business. Um, and we've looked, we've Googled and we found your profile and we'd like you to come. Can you be in Bristol at half past five in the morning or whatever it is? Now, they found me from the awards. So it doesn't matter whether you win or whether you don't win. There's always an angle in life that you've won. And I think, again, that's that growth mindset because a lot of people go, ah, it's all right for the big boys. They win it all the time, you know, you know. But take the win because even from an SEO perspective, you might just get found on Google for the BBC. So there's a positive for you and why you should enter awards. But, um, yeah, I, I like, I mean, I'm, I think one of the key words I would say is ethical. I'm, I, I, ethics are really important to me. I hate, and again, that's why I walked with my feet at the conference. Oh, yeah. That's not ethical. So, um, yeah, I think just that, that those ethics are the things for me that are really important. Brilliant. Brilliant. Alison, like I said, I'm really conscious of your time. We could talk or like I've already got other things in my head I want to ask you as well, but we, we need to wrap this up. Thank you so much. Obviously, so, you know, people wanting to hear more from you, there's there's a couple of books out there, but like where's best to reach you? Do you know what? Literally, I'm everywhere again. Sales and marketing is like golf. You've got to know who it is. So, um, uh, my website is alisonedford.com. That's the speaker one. And I've actually got a new... Um, I've rebranded all my training things. So I've got smashittraining.com and there's a senior leader scorecard on there. So people can do that. The books, Secrets of Successful Sales and Smash It, The Art of Getting What You Want are on Amazon. And then on all socials, I'm at the Alison Edgar and on LinkedIn, I'm Alison Edgar. So I'm not hard to find. If you Google Alison Edgar, you'll find about 10 pages just of me and things that I've done. Awesome. And if you go and look now, it's like, I mean, you know, this is going to go out of probably about three, four weeks after recording it. But yeah, you won't have to scroll very far to see her with that MBA no, and, that, and everything that there. Definitely close to the top. I'll get that everywhere. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Alison. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so it. much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And it's lovely to see you again after the conference.